Hello, welcome to the Lit KC Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Pru. Today, my guest is Jessica Connolly. Jessica is a fiction writer and an essayist. She's also the former managing editor for the magazine Kansas City Voices, which if you have not seen or picked up, definitely seek it out. It comes out once a year, and it's a beautifully produced magazine full of art and literature. And it's not necessarily all Kansas City folks, but it is run by Kansas City folks, and it's pretty pretty special, and we're pretty lucky to have it in our city. Jessica and I talk a little bit about KC Voices uh, and the Whispering Prairie Press that puts it out. We talk about growing up in Kansas City in the 90s and going to see lots of bands and taking forever to get through college. Jessica quit her day job to be a full-time writer, and she wasn't getting paid at the time. She just saved up her damn money and quit her job and said, I'm going to write. And she finished a book, and she took that book to the market, and an agent picked it up, and she did a bunch of rewrites, and now they're trying to sell the book. And that is pretty slick. But I'm sure it has come at a uh, crazy... I just wouldn't have the the nuts to do that. I mean, I can't really because of the family thing, but I don't even know if I... Insurance-wise, that really worries me not to have insurance. You know, my situation's different. I've got a chronic illness, but at any rate, I give it up for anybody that can take that plunge like that with anything, not just writing. If you just give up comfort and stability to pursue your passion, you've got all my respect. So here she is, Jessica Connolly. Yeah. But I don't know who's doing base form on this return trip. Are you going to go? Uh, there's a part of me that wants to, because mm-hmm. I never got to see them outside of like stadium, you oh. know, festival stuff. Yeah. So I'd really like to see them in a enclosed, like, lax. I know they melt your face off when mm-hmm. they play. But there's a part of me too that's just like, I don't really do that anymore. I, I don't know. go to concerts that I don't much either. anymore. And I used to, that used to be, I mean, that's That's how all I did in college. Yep. But I, all we did. I have friends now who never went out in college and they're like, let's go do this, let's go do this. And I'm like, I'm done. Like... I used up my going. Where did out you go time. to college? KU. No shit. Mm-hmm. Did you go straight through four years? <laughs> no, it took me so long. Um, I graduated from high school in '97, and I went in as a second semester sophomore with AP credits, and it still took me like seven years well, to graduate. So I was working full time. Uh, well, and I kept meeting boys who were in bands, and they would leading you down the path. Of- no, I would just like start going on road trips. Yeah, and it was fun. So. Like uh, Lawrence bands? Oh yeah, like uh, my first boyfriend was in Grovel, which was. Who is it? John Ferguson. No way, <laughs> Twan. Oh, you know him. So yeah, my one of my best friends growing up in Kansas City is uh, Brian Frisbee, who played drums with Brad in the Hillary Step oh, after Grovel. Yeah. Didn't really break up, but you know they stopped playing together. Do you? There was this girl named Kim. Uh, she dated Keenan. Uh yeah. I, well, I was at my girlfriend's house like a mo- two months ago, and I was like, I know that girl's name. I don't know why I know her. And so she comes in, and she's like, I can tell you exactly why we know each other. And I was like, why? She's like, I was dating Keenan. I was like, oh, I dated John. And I was like, Grovel. Yeah. yeah. You know, I have this huge collection of Kansas City music from mm-hmm. like the 90s to the early 2000s. All the NASA's little, little secret boys are like my best friends in real life. That is hilarious. Where'd you go to high school? Shine Mission South. I'll be damned. Where'd you go? 
Well, I graduated from Olathe South, but I was just there my senior year. Yeah, because you moved So I moved down. up here from the Ozarks. Um, so yeah, I mean, those Lawrence bands from that time. And, then, and the Blackwater, I loved Brent. Oh, Do you remember him? Yeah, that's great. Did you ever listen to Derailleur? No. Remember those guys? They were a punk rock band out of L-Town, but Rob Garcia and I'm trying to think of the other guys. We were but probably yeah. at the same shows I all the time. We Simple Barney, like, uh, uh, what was the band that came out of Simple Barney? They were from Blue Valley Kids, and then that girl, Dree, went on to do her own thing. I just remember, the only band I remember with girls is Frog Pond. Do you remember Pamper the Madman? No. You know, they were like from, I don't know, probably 97 to 99-ish, but they were Kansas City. They were really, really good rock. Just sweet rock and roll. So you went to KU. It took you, did you say seven years to get there? I don't actually know. I know I graduated. I do what know that. What was your that. degree? English. Yeah? But I didn't ever take any writing classes. I just took... Reading classes? Yeah, like literature. Because I was paying for school, so what I What were you planning on doing? I just knew you had to go to college. Yeah. Because <laughs> I started working when I was 14, so I worked at Sprint the whole time I was in school, and then I worked at a bank, and I just thought I'd work corporate jobs forever. But I knew I, if I had to pay for it, I wanted to do something that I liked. You gave a shit about it. Yeah, yeah, and so it was like I liked to read books, and it wasn't hard. So So when you were done with your degree, mm -hmm. you are just like, I'm just going to go work? Well, did you think, okay, could I be a teacher? Could I? No, I never thought I could be a teacher. Well, actually, that's not true. I actually. I mean, in terms of grad school. Wasn't teacher. Oh, no, I never thought about grad school. Never I'm too about... practical. It's too much money, and I yeah. just didn't understand. Like, it's just, it's so expensive. So that whole academic lifestyle never appealed to you to say, man, I could just be a student for the next eight years? No. Nope. Being dead up to my eyeballs. My and... grandma has five degrees, like multiple wow. doctorates, and my grandpa. Like education on that side of the family was huge, and so Grandma still will be like, "Well, you know, like that's not that's not what I want to do, Grandma." But no, it never. It just doesn't make sense, and I'm too practical. Like you can't you can't pay your like it just doesn't make you can't any sense. Pay your bills. Like it's... Annie has been applying to grad schools, and so to super awesome programs, and like she's getting in and stuff, and like she tells me how much things are, and I'm like that. Is like half of a house, if not an entire house. I mean, that's essentially three quarters of my condo. I think it's a big gamble. It's insane, especially in literature. Yeah, well, in any, I mean, yeah, I guess in, you're, if you're not going to be like a research scientist or something, yeah. where, or a computer scientist, anything, but to do it in the humanities, it's a big gamble that you're going to get any return on that investment. Yeah. Outside of saying this is really what I want to do and I don't really care. And. Well, I like having a house more than a piece of paper. That's <laughs> I moved a lot when I was little, so having a house has always been pretty important to me. Did you move a lot around the country or around the city here? Around the city. So my parents divorced when I was in the summer between kindergarten and first grade. Oh, wow. And then we did the thing where you'd live at one house for a week and then go to the other house for a week. And my dad always lived in the same house. He still lives in the same house. But then my mom moved around a ton. So like was when she moving from house to house or apartments or combination? Uh, we lived with my grandparents for a while. We lived in a duplex. We lived in KCK in a house. We lived in a trailer in Lewisburg. She, like we lived all over the city. No, so when shit. people are like, "Where are you from?" I just say Kansas City because yeah. I feel like I've lived in all of it. But I always went to Shawnee Mission Schools because Dad was always there. So you just used his address and everything was cool. Yeah. And Mom would get you there no matter what. 
Or did you have to? No, she, she a lot of times, because she worked nights, so we'd be home alone, and she'd be like, do you really want to go to school today? <laughs> Sometimes we'd be like, yeah, mom, we're going to school today. <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah. What's your mom do now? Uh, she builds weird house projects in her house. Right now she's building an indoor-outdoor fish pond for her house. <laughs> and one time she built us a um, ski ball at Christmas. Like in the basement or just? Yeah, I'll, I might have a picture of it. Oh, um, she was, so she graduated from nursing school the same year I graduated from high school. But before she was a nurse, she worked at Shawnee Mission Medical Center in the computer room. Like back when they had huge disk drives and you would go in and it would just be like freezing yeah. cold air and it looked like robots everywhere. Um, have you ever lived in another city? Huh. I so wanted to. always been in the KC Metro, huh? Yeah. Sometimes I try and leave and then things go catastrophically awry, yeah, so I, I gave up. There. Sometimes you just realize, you know what, this is a good spot. It, it, now it is. Like It is. I mean, in the it's... early, just downtown has changed so much in the it's just so much more fun now. I feel like it's, uh, you know, well, you kind of came up at the same time I did, too. It's so much easier to, and the, uh, the internet facilitates a lot of the communications between your groups, right? Like, yeah. I feel like, especially as writers, there's so, there's a lot of stuff going on that I never get to, but it's really neat to see so many different groups. And I don't know if you get out much anymore to mm -hmm. any of the writing things that are going I'll on. I'll go if it's people who I super love. Are you still involved with the magazine with Casey Voices? No. I'm, was that last year you were done? Uh, yeah, my last thing was in November at the Johnson County Writers Conference. They had me do first pages and that was the last thing I officially did for Kansas City Voices. Does it feel good to kind of just be... Yeah. Yeah. feels really good. And Have you made good use of that extra time? Yeah. Do you feel pretty good about it? Yeah. I was surprised... So it's coming up on three years since I left my corporate job. So I've been working from home since then. And I don't mind being alone, but I didn't realize how much social interaction I was doing through Kansas City Voices. Yeah. So for the first time since I left my corporate job, I was like, whoa, I'm turning into that weird shut-in lady. Like, I need to leave the house. So what are you doing to combat that? Uh, I try to leave at least. I try to leave the house every day, but I don't always. That's my goal. <laughs> I would very much succumb to that. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty big homebody, so. It's awesome. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. But it is, there was a big learning curve about learning how to be productive while being at home. Yeah. And then also, there's, like, for me, it's really nice that my boyfriend has another house because I work from home, so I always feel like I have to work when I'm home, so I can't sleep late here anymore. But at his house, I'm like, vacation yeah, house! Yep, yep. Yeah, it's really good. So, talk to me about the book. It's at on submission with editors in New York, and it makes me want to throw up and die. Why? Well, you put a lot of hard. I'm work. proud of the book. Like I'm super proud of Just it. Just this whole process, though, is, is it well, and there's no guarantee it'll sell, and I know that. And I'm getting to the point with money where I'm like, okay, if the book sells, I can stretch myself farther and you know I'll get some money from selling the yeah. book but if not then I need to start looking at what type of job I want to have and that type of thing and I'm like don't want to consider that stuff yet it's like a, you're so close <laughs> I know that's it feels like you're really close and there's so many things I want to do like I, all these marketing ideas just keep coming up and then I've been working on like making connections with other authors in the same genre and just learning about like I signed up for a class on 
library tours and how to and just weird stuff that industry stuff that yeah. you don't think about and I'm like because I've been treating this as like my own grad school for the past three years where I was like I'm gonna work as hard as I can learn as much as I can get as much outside of my comfort zone as I can while doing it myself without any sort of you know teacher telling me what to do and it's been I mean I've learned so much stuff but I smell a consultancy coming on after this <laughs> do you like, think if I, if you could book, I do that if I can tell you how to quit your day job and do the hustle you just got to do the work yeah 20 minutes a day I'm on like shit a, you don't like a writing life coach there you go you just totally planned my next money making gig so your book is being looked at by editors mm-hmm. it's out of your hands mm-hmm you I really like her pitch she wrote. Getting ready, so... My agent wrote She wrote the pitch. a pitch for it, yep. And I was like, I read it, and I was like... So, when I signed with my agent, I had actually had another agent try and sign me, and it was the worst. Like, we had a meeting, and I was like, you're horrible. There's no like, way you I right would... Away, no yeah, chemistry, I was like, yeah. just not going to work. And I felt like they were so new in their career, they didn't know anything that was going on, and they... They didn't even read the book all the way through. She's like, I totally want to sign you. You need to let me know by Monday or whatever. I'm like, and I knew the end of the book on that version. I was like, eh, this needs some work. Like, I knew it was, it yeah. could be better, but I didn't know how to push it. I was like, well, what What would you change? And she said, the only thing I would change is I got confused about the description of a building. And I was like, well, that's not helpful. I mean, like, that's, that's completely not relevant to this story. I was like, well, what about the end? And she said, uh, oh, yeah, I didn't actually get to that. How does it end? And I was like, I'm, so I'm sorry, excuse me? And she said, well, I couldn't find the file after. And I was like, no, if you can't even read to the end of the book, you're horrible. Damn. Um, but my agent that I do have, she's fantastic. And I went through a serious rewrite with her. What's her name? Her name's Lucy uh, Long... No. Cleland? I don't know if she says it Cleland or Cleland. We've never met in real life. We just <gasps> talk on the phone. Oh, that's amazing. I know. Isn't it weird? Yeah, that is weird. It's a weird world. It is a weird that world. that happens a lot. Yeah. But she sent me her pitch letter, and I was so excited because it's really hard to be excited about something you've worked on for so long, and she's so excited about yeah, it. And when I really read cool. it, I was like, whoa, this sounds like an awesome book that I want to know what happens. <laughs> and I was like, I know what happens. So through this process, the book is... I mean, you've done your rewrites. You're mm -hmm. ready now. You're sh you're shopping it around. Yeah. What are you doing writerly now? Are you working on other things? Uh -huh. Your newsletter keeps you pretty active, but that's kind of infrequent. Uh, yeah, I write a newsletter every other Tuesday that goes out. And then I'm trying to work on this story. It's another novel about seven kids. And it's this world where people just drop their kids off at this ramp and then kids leave in groups of seven. And I'm 20,000 words into it, and this week I've decided I either need to throw it all out and start over again. I wrote it in third-person omniscient, but I think I need to switch it to third-person limited. And the last book I wrote was in first-person present, and my brain just doesn't want to do this switch. Like, it's like, screw you. You don't know how to write in anything but first-person present. You can't do this. How much time is spent on the book that's out there trying to sell for you? Is it mostly just talk between you and your agent at this point? 
Oh, I'm just like... You're still hyping it up on your own, telling folks about it. You know, I yeah. get an email, hey, beta readers, I need them. Right. Let me know. Um, no, that's pretty much done. I mean, until she sells it, I'm not touching it. I It's set up where it could easily go into a sequel, but I haven't even started writing the right. sequel because if it doesn't sell, I don't want to put my time into it yeah. when there's something else I could write that could sell. So the part that I work on right now in relation to that is marketing ideas. And so I've got like the big research present and I have an idea for a website where people submit different interactive things and then they unlock a different part of the prison and yeah. it's kind of like an interactive game but it gets people to do their own art or their own like I want to have because when I was little I didn't think I had any talent anything but I knew I was good at reading out loud so I want to have kids read like their favorite passages oh, and put awesome. them up as like excerpts yeah. on it and then I've just got a book, and every day for 20 minutes, I just, like, research marketing stuff or write down ideas or look for book blogs or just learn about that side of the industry. And then your hope is by doing all that, when it sells, like, isn't that part of what they're going to do for you? They're going to do some of it, okay. but they're not going to do all of it. So, assuming it sells, I would sign a contract, and then there'd still be more rewrites with whatever that editor sure. wants. So I'd have to do that, but then, it, and she's submitting to, I mean, she's submitted to 15 different, but they're all part of the big five, pretty much, publishing industry, Just so they've got... smaller imprints that... Yeah. yeah. So then there would be a marketing are they team. All, so are, are, mm -hmm. are they all genre-specific, or is it kind of across the board? Are they like, hey, these are young adults? Yeah. That, okay. She's submitting to YA editors. Gotcha. And then the marketing team and the publicity team, you don't know how much the house is how much attention they're going to give you. So basically the way I'm looking at it is they would get me into bookstores and they would hopefully get me into libraries. But other than that, I'm just going to assume they're not going to do anything gotcha. and anything they do do, I'd be really excited about. Um, but in the other thing I did is I turned in a marketing plan with my manuscript, which yeah. most people for fiction don't do that. But for nonfiction, it's standard. It's pretty standard. Yeah. So was that something that you just researched and like, hey, this might be a smart like one of those things that can give me that little bump to Yeah. I just knew so it's my first book. You only get to make a first impression one time. Yeah. And I've always been good at business and I understand business. And especially after running the magazine, that was a really good learning tool for me. Like starting in the red, getting them operating in the black, you know, like understanding what it took. So I knew the skills I had made through them was going to look, a lot of authors weren't going to have that. Well, and you did some other interesting things with this book in that you held a, I guess I'd call it a, a reading party. Yeah. Before, I mean, the book isn't out. Yeah. No one could buy the book. <laughs> right. you just like, I'm going to read it. I want your support. But you filmed the whole thing to show your agent and potential publishers, right, that there's an audience for you. Mm -hmm. You, not just the book. Like, it came out, nobody knew what the book was. Yeah. You know, maybe a few folks there had well, read Well, luckily, it. my parents are divorced and they're all remarried. So if you just put all my family in the room, <laughs> it looks room. like there's 50 people there. But I thought that was really neat. Like, that's something that I would not have thought mattered. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing is, is I got used to working in front of crowds through the magazine. Yeah. And I don't... 
I can't say I enjoy it necessarily because it takes so much out of me. Like, literally, after that event, it was a week of me just being like, ah, just shut in. The next weekend, my boyfriend had people over his house, and I sat in the driveway and just wanted to cry because no. I was like, I can't have dinner with four more people right now. Um, but I know that that's a skill a lot of people don't possess, being able to get in front of an audience and keep it together. And so I didn't know how it would translate on film because I've never done film work before. So I was like, well, time to try it out and see what happens. And if it's good, then I'll send it to her. So so Justin Bond. Mm-hmm. He did great. Yeah. Who's seen it beside um, you? My agent has yeah. seen it. Are you allowed to show other folks? Yeah. Well, when people sign up for my newsletter, they get the 30-minute video. I don't think I got it, my friend. Well, I will resend it That's out. That's why I'm asking. I'm like, I, I wonder whatever happened with yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. In my next newsletter, I'll send it out again to people and just be like, hey, in case you yeah, missed it. That was a cool idea and something that's really neat. And, you know, Justin does the, the stuff for PBS here in town, all the arts, uh, the literary, the poet folks that they do. I'm trying to think of the name of the blurb and now I can't, but at any rate, yeah. He understands it. That yeah, was the nicest good. part. Yeah. So you've not lived in another city before. Nope. This question about how Kansas City and you go together. Mm-hmm. What you, you do a lot of nonfiction writing as well. Right. In that place plays a very important part. Mm-hmm. In the fiction I've read of yours, it's not so evident like that places is important. You're working a lot with character. Um that makes me happy you say that. <laughs> you know, and that's, it's not bad or good. It's just mm-hmm. what I've read so far, that's where you, you're, you're very much focused on that. And I would expect that, especially in its you know, young adult fantasy. Mm-hmm. And that. But how has Kansas City influenced you, if at all? As right? a fiction writer or just, just as, as a writer in general? As someone that is creating worlds. I think there's a directness to the Midwest that carries through. Um there's it's like when you go to the south because i've traveled a lot so like in the south people are really polite but i wouldn't say they're always nice in the same way that we're nice do you know what i mean and i feel like that it's the an upfrontness to the midwest and i think that comes through in my work but in regards to my fantasy or my fiction work i don't I hardly ever base it in reality, and I think that's because I did grow up in Kansas, and I wanted to leave. I wanted to be this adventurous person who went out and did these, like, crazy things and just, like, took the world by storm, and I never did it. Every time I tried, like, stuff literally just was horribly wrong. The universe was saying, just, yeah, just stay Yeah, just home. stay here. You're all good. And so that's why in my book, my characters are like out on great adventures and they're doing things because it's so not, it's what I wanted and I never got to have it. And then in my nonfiction, I think, especially in the essays on my newsletter, I think my voice comes through on that more like how we're talking. For sure. It's very conversational. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think. You know what I like about that newsletter, Jessica, is you're, you're you're enthusiastic without being saccharine. Oh, good. <laughs> um, that was the exact thing when I had somebody read something last week. I was like, is this just too nauseatingly noxious? No, it's in, you know, it, you, your excitement for the process that you're going through, which, I, I mean, I don't know how many subscribers you have or who has an agent or who has tried to sell a book, but the enthusiasm is, like, contagious. And it, but it's not, 
you know, you're real about this could all fall flat. Fuck. Yeah. Could suck ass. Um, I had people unsubscribe because because I decided that I had too much of the positive stuff because I I don't talk about you know sitting in my room and yeah. obsessively like checking you should definitely do one of those and stuff <laughs> like that but I did one about like I did a few on a series of failures yeah. like different failures I've had which I think is really important to this career like failing and just getting up and doing it again and again and That's again. That's the norm. Mm-hmm. And you have to. There's a bear. Um. But I had a lady open it up, and she's like, I've had enough of this nonsense. And I was like, whoa, you signed up for this. And I was like, I send out, like, 85% nice newsletters, and I talk about one failure, and I was like, you are clearly not my target audience. Yep, she was probably having a rough day. Um, yeah, she had only followed me because I was the managing editor for Kansas City Voices, and she Looking was someone I had published, and... It's, and then she realized that was the worst part. She realized who I was. And, like, I get an email back later that day. And she's like, I just realized I might have been a little forward this morning. And I was like, oh, now you think I'm important. So you feel bad about sending me a totally shitty email first thing in the morning. Uh, what what can you tell me about that magazine? Kansas City Voices is it's absolutely beautiful. Thank you. I don't know how many people in Kansas City know about it. I would guess not very many. Why is that? Um, this is a homegrown magazine. Mm-hmm. It's since... I mean, I 1991 is when the nonprofit started. I mean, it's been around forever. Yeah, because this was the 13th issue. The current iteration, which I would say, you know, because I happen to see a lot of those back issues, but the, the larger format, the gorgeous full-color bleeds covers... That had a lot to do with Caleb Harmon, bringing him on as a graphic I mean, designer. It's a stunning magazine. I yeah. just don't... Are you proud of what you did there? Yeah. I'm proud of how much I learned. I'm proud of meeting all the people. Like, I grew exponentially while I was there. I'm not super into poetry, so it was really interesting to be the managing editor of poetry. And I know nothing about art. Like, no, I'm like, color is pretty. I don't, I mean, like, literally nothing about art. So what was interesting to me was to bring on all these people who are smarter than I am and just see how many smart people you can get to volunteer their time and be like, learn me. What do you got? Yeah. You know, because, oh, the first volume 10 was my first year as managing editor. And what year was that? Um... 2012, 13? No, we can check. Um, so this is 2012, probably. Yep. Um, I didn't even know what a copy editor did. Like, I had no idea. And so John Peterson, who we had published before, but he had, I believe he used to work at Hallmark, and he had copy editing experience. You know, he's like... 10, 15 years older, retired, whatever, He's, he comes on. And so I have this meeting with him and copy editors, and I was like, yeah, so John, tell us about your experience as copy editor, because I didn't, I had no idea what they did. I knew nothing about, I knew nothing about the printing process, bleeds, like all, you know, everything, what a gutter was. Yeah. I was just like so green going into it. And it also, and we didn't, I mean, we never got like, I mean, we might have 1,500 submissions, which for a small skeleton volunteer crew is a lot, but compared to like what agents get or publishing houses. So it made me a lot more understanding of the industry, and it made me also not take everything personally. Yeah. Like I knew I couldn't, I had, 
80 pages. I couldn't publish everybody, and there was some awesome stuff, and I just, I couldn't fit it in, you know? And so, for me, it was, it was like, it was my graduate school. Could you ever see yourself taking that on again? Not necessarily Casey Voices, but you yourself taking on a publishing type role? I'm not opposed to it. I would have to get paid for it, though. Yeah. <laughs> because I think that's the big difference is now I understand what my time is worth. Right. And now I understand what talents I have and what talents I don't have. You know, I'm a terrible proofreader. I'm the worst proofreader on the face of the planet. I'm not a good copy editor. Those aren't I'm a developmental editor. I'm like the big picture person, and I can tell you where a story starts and how to get into it and your hook and where your characters are dying off, and you're like, kill that bastard. You know, like, I can tell you that, but... It let me figure out what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. Um, but it also, I was devoting so much time to it because it wasn't just doing the editorial work. It was running the nonprofit and being the president of it. Yeah. And I didn't know anything about that either. So I, that was great learning business-wise. But I won't ever undervalue my time and just give it away without serious forethought. What brought you into that magazine? Did someone ask you to? Janet Sunderland. She's like, hey, we need your help. Yeah, we were, um, so Kansas City Writers Group, which I think has been around since the 60s, was my first introduction to the writing community. And So had you been writing before? Your English major? Were you a writer, uh, writer? No, no, no. What what sparked that before we I turned into... 30, and I was like having a, like my midlife crisis at 30, and I had worked, so I worked at Sprint for 18 to 22, worked at a bank. That was a pretty decent job. I was like a fancy secretary. And then I started working at an insurance company, working claims. And I, when I left, I'd been there. It was like going to be my 10-year anniversary. And it was just a soul-sucking job where you were on the phone all day and you had to like negotiate injury claims and you were talking to people right after like fatalities. And sometimes, I mean, sometimes you could really help people and it was a bad situation and I liked when I could be helpful. But a lot of times it was like a, you know... $200 scratch in their car and they're like, I've never been so traumatized. And you're like, bitch, get over it, you know? So, um, when I was turning 30, I was like, I can't do this the rest of my life. Like, there's no way this is what your life is supposed to be. So I had a friend who's a computer coder and she loves her job. And like, I don't even know what a computer coder is. Like, I understand it's like technology buttons, right? And so we were driving, I think we were going to a rock show or something, or we were on a road trip somewhere. It was the long, we were on a long car ride. And I'm like, how did you know you want to be a computer coder? Because that's totally random. She goes, oh, I took some tests. And I was like, what are, what are you talking about? And she's like, they're these weird tests. It's called the Johnson O'Connor Research Institute. And I was like, okay. So I looked them up. And they had one in Texas, and Andy, my roommate's sister, lived in Texas, and he was going down. I was like, well, I'll just go with you, stay at Lori's house, and take these tests. And they you were, have to go somewhere to take yeah, these tests, huh? Yeah, oh, okay. they were, and you pay like $600 or Fuck. something. Um, and they had them closer, but Lori lived in Texas, and we had a place to stay. Um, and so they were weird. It wasn't like normal tests. Like, one of them was, <laughs> thank you, Bear. Um, one, the one I did the best on was they had poker chips with words on them, and then they'd have, like, a placemat with, like, a diagram, and you were supposed to – it was association of where the words should go. So it'd be, like, sandwich, bread, meat, blah, 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 and you would do that, and, and they would time you to see how fast you would go. Or they did, like – they gave you a folded-up piece of paper with, like, dots on it, and you were supposed to figure out if you shoved a pencil through it where the dots would be or, like – 
There was one where it was all these color. It looked like eyeshadows, basically. There was like a hundred eyeshadows. It sounds like some crazy, oh. weird bullshit. Yeah. And so at the end of it, they say, hey, you should be a writer. Yeah. They said, what? you should either go into disaster management, editing, or writing. <laughs> That's some rando shit. Yeah. And I'd already done disaster stuff with the insurance company. Like, I'd gone to work hurricanes and stuff like that. And I was like, that's too stressful. And then I'd always kept journals. Um, in fourth grade, my teacher gave me a journal. So I kept those. But I quit writing in them for a long time because the guy I was with read it. Didn't like what he read. And it was a very bad scene. Because I wrote, I didn't know if he was as smart as I was and that did not go over well but he shouldn't have been reading my shit without asking he should not have yeah um so I quit writing for a long time but then I thought okay well I like it I've always had crazy ideas compared to the what other people say out of their mouth holes so yep compared to the police so this is fascinating to me so you went you took this test Mm -hmm. you came home you're like all right I can do this well I was also talking to a career counselor at the time because I knew and how long into the insurance job were you at this point? Three years? Uh, 27. Yeah, I think, no, 27 when I bought this. I was 25. So I've been there five years. Four oh, or five years. Okay. Yeah. And then, so the career counselor lady had said, there's this group called Kansas City Writers Group. I went to it once. They're a lot more serious than I ever intended to be because she just wanted to do some, like, blogs or yeah. something. And so I went, and Kansas City Writers Group, it was a great learning place. I mean, it's a lot. It's a great, it's a really welcoming environment. It's not threatening. And everybody there is old. Like, I was the youngest person by 30 years, that felt like. But they were all just so nice and just inviting. And how their format is, and it's big. I mean, there's probably at least 15 to 20 people at every meeting that they have. And they have a moderator that reads the work out loud, and then you just sit there and listen, and then people critique, and you take notes on your critique. So that was my first exposure to it. And they are the founding group that put out Kansas City Voices. And so what kind of stuff were you bringing to that group, just kind of being, hey, I'm just back from learning, I'm going to be a writer? (laughs) Well, I had written stuff in college. The first thing I ever turned into them was... I guess you would call it creative nonfiction. It was this. So my mom's brother died in a freakish accident when he was 16, 17. And they didn't exactly figure out how it happened until. And then I think they pieced it together at a dance. Like my grandparents were at a dance and somehow it all got pieced together. So I tried to recreate them piecing together what had happened. And so that's the first thing I turned in. And I wanted to throw up and die. Like, it was the worst having somebody read your stuff and everybody listening and talking. Uh, Bob Christman was there. Yeah. And um, it, I didn't die, so that was a good first step. But then also, the, it was clear there was promise. You know, like, I wasn't totally horrible. You weren't off the Yeah, I wasn't, like, the worst. They didn't laugh you out of the room. Yeah. So that was the first thing I turned in. And then I had a blog for a little bit and I was I mean it took me probably three years to find my voice and just figure out what I wanted to write about and what I was gonna try and work on yeah that's really that's really interesting to me Jessica I mean I'm just like I've written since I was oh could hold like it was I just never thought I could really do it yeah outside of like hey this is a living you know which I commend you for saying I'm gonna make this my living 
Let's hope if it, it works. works. If it doesn't, you know, you tried yeah. it, which is pretty... Well, that's what I think. So the world's so shitty right now, and, like, we could end up in nuclear war, right, you know, at any second, and I'm like, well, I'm not going to regret quitting my job now. Like, what if I hadn't quit my job, and I was still there, and I was miserable, well, and I hadn't you even feel like I could probably go back and get the same damn yeah. job if I needed it. I'm sure it's there. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't regret... I'm, I'm surprised... I thought I'd be, like, 60 when I was trying to be a full-time writer. I certainly didn't expect it to happen when it happened and just be like, whoa, I have a chance now. All right. This is it. Fuck it. Let's see what happens. Yeah. And I thought I'd just take the summer off. I was like, oh, I'll just, because I've never, I started working when I was 14 and I've never had like a leap year. Or, I never, I went on spring break once, you know, <laughs> like I never went anywhere. So I was like, I'll have a vacation. I've never had a vacation. And you're and, industrious. I mean, you Well, now you it's work. three years. <laughs> yeah, you work. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting to hear folks that do work that aren't at a nine to five, you know, because that's how mm -hmm. my wife is. Like, she works yeah. her butt off, but she doesn't work a regular and it's nine to five, but she's always working. It's really hard to explain to people who are only exposed to nine to five and haven't been exposed to that. They're like, well, what do you do all day? Like, and I learned from my godparents, so they're missionaries. And I was like, I don't know what to say. Because people sometimes are, like, really rude when they ask you about stuff. And, and Nick's like, you just tell them how good you're doing. Tell them you're rolling around in your money. Right. Count it all day long. He's like, nobody wants to hear how good you're doing. And he's like, as soon as you do that, it'll shut him up. And yeah, I was like, never really? Have. Never have to ask again. Yeah, it really works. It does. Are you considering doing any more food writing? Mm. I love writing about food. I love That's eating great. food. Yeah, you should. I, I don't... I mean, there's a shit ton of food in my book. I did find a blog where it's a book blogger, and she, like, makes the food and the stuff. And that's the other thing is I made up this uh, food called Madrigan, and I want to have a Madrigan recipe contest. But, um, ah. yeah, I'm super excited about that. So I'm not opposed to doing food writing. It just never occurred to me, I guess. But I guess I could do that. It's good. Well, and the reason I say that is I think that's something like uh, like art criticism in Kansas City. Mm -hmm. There's kind of a dearth of it. Yeah. You know, Andy does it well. Yeah. There are a few people that do it well, but... There's precious little food writing out there locally that uh, I think it's... I think the part for me that's weird... So I I like turning the event into a story. And I like the food to be like a character in the story. But the idea of just going to a restaurant and being like, I had salmon, it was dry... This, yeah, you know, I don't like, want to read, and I don't particularly like reading food reviews so much. Right. But I want a story. Yeah, like this you great know? adventure yeah, of food. It should be good. It yeah. It should be good. Tell, explain a little bit about what your book is about that you're trying to get chopped around. I was just thinking today that I need to memorize Lucy's pitch letter. You gotta have your letter. elevator pitch. I know, and her pitch letter is so good, right? I'm like, this is genius. And I'm like, a girl with a superpower doesn't know how to use it, <laughs> and she goes and finds her family. But that's, that's like, my version. Her, uh, her version is, in a technocracy, um, atypicals are hunted for the so Before you mm -hmm. get too far into that, yes. expand on that right there, because that's what? what's interesting about... A technocracy. Oh, okay. So in the world, I've set up um, the commoners. So, you know, working middle class or whatever, and they don't have access to technology. And so the RADA, which is the governing body in this situation, has access to it. And they release it on limited basis to the people 
in order to get what they want. So, like, say they want to increase production in food or whatever, they'll release whatever technology they need in order to further the RADA's means, not in order to benefit the people. And the way that they're harnessing this technology is there's a species of people are like, it's just a genetic mutation. So they're called atypicals and they have different superpowers. So they're starting to hunt atypicals and they're sending them to a research prison to harvest and research their powers and try and turn it into whatever they want it to be. And so you have the group that's behind the scenes running things. And then the main character has been hunted by them because she's a rare type. She's a color eater. And at the very beginning... And that's the title of the book, right? Yeah, The Color Eater is the title of the book. So at the very beginning, this girl's been hunted for years, and she got separated from her father when they were hunting her, and she's decided, I've been on the run, I'm sick of it, I want to find my father, the only place I think I can find it is by infiltrating this group, and she turns herself in, and that's like the end of the first chapter. And so she goes in, and you just learn about this world and the different powers, and... But I was surprised... I'm gl- glad the rewrite took as long as it did because I needed the our political climate in order to build that into the story. That, like, tension, that just manipulation of large groups of people. And some of the, like, I was, I was on my rewrite and I was reading um, Robert's, I don't know how to say his last name, Seal Donnie has this book called Influence. It's a nonfiction book. And it's all about the psychology of influencing people and, like, from advertisements to, um, like, prisoners of war and all this kind of stuff. So I was reading it because I think nonfiction is fascinating. I love reading nonfiction. And I was researching it. The part I was reading was about prisoners of war in South Korea and, like, the brainwashing techniques that they were using on them. And it was real simple, benign stuff. And so Lucy and I were talking, and I was like, you know, I just... I feel like this is stuck and blah, blah, blah. And I was, then for some reason I started, she's like, well, why don't you just put that stuff in the book? And I was like, oh yeah, why don't yeah, I just put that stuff to... in the book? So like some of the creepiest stuff is just reality pulled into the book. Um, so. That's what makes for good fiction. I know, it really right? does. It's like, oh, this shit really went down. Yeah. But then also my main character is pretty naive. Like she, she's so self-involved at the beginning and she doesn't understand that, you know, she's, been privileged in some ways. I mean, she's clearly been through a lot, but then the wake-up call of there's all these other people who have been shit upon, and she's taken her freedom for granted, right. where there's these people who have never even had access to it. And so I I needed that wake-up call from, like, a shitty election to be like, I've, I mean, I've, I've lived a really good life, and to just be able to see... I've always been compassionate towards other groups, but I don't think I ever understood it until the election how everything was so different for me than it was for a large population. And to be able to like start writing that into the book added a whole nother layer to it that wouldn't have been there if we'd gone before all that happened. Yeah, I think it's it's become really timely in a really bizarre Horrible way. way. In yeah, the worst like, way possible. <laughs> so where can people find you online? You have some... It's jessicaconnelly.com, J-E-S-S-I-C-A-C-O-N-O-L-E-Y.com. Right. Don't get tripped up on the yeah. single N, single L. Nah, two O's. <laughs> it's because there was two brothers in the same town, and one brother kept getting the other brother's mail, so he what? spelled our name weird. No shit. Yeah. 
It's very interesting how things work out sometimes. Yeah. You tweet. What's your Twitter handle? Oh, at J-A-C-O-N-O-L. Maybe it's J.A. Connolly. I, I can see you're really involved in this whole Twitter. <laughs> no, I do. I, I use the Twitter. I also, because one of my ideas, so when that <sighs> website goes live, um, I set up a Twitter handle for at Escape Corvidian where prisoners are going to be looking for other atypicals. So that's a real thing that's going to happen one day. One day soon. Yeah, I'll find. Oh, I'm on Facebook too. I have a Facebook author page. I'm on Instagram, but I don't use it. And I just put up pictures of my cats. So I'll find it and put it in the show notes. Yeah. And if my internet. Okay, hold on. We might have my Twitter handle J A Connolly. So J A C O N O L E Y. Easy peasy. Well, yeah. thank you very much Thanks. for taking time to chat with me. That was Jessica Connolly. Thank you, Jessica, for taking time to talk with me. Thank you, listeners, for lending me your ears. Thanks to Is You Is or Is You Ain't for the music. If you'd like to reach out, you can contact litkcpod at gmail.com. Listen to music. Dance. Go out and see concerts. Buy a t-shirt. Then listen to more music. Listen to old music. Listen to new music. 